Mr. Balbrin, the Timon Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangas Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangas Audio making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. This is his weekly Monday appearance. He's made it, in this case, on a Tuesday. He's the managing editor of Fangas.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this edition of the program. As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note, in this case, redundancy. The issue of redundancy. When the host of this program took a couple weeks paternity leave at the end of July and beginning of August, it became apparent to managing editor Dave Cameron that my presence at Fangraphs was and or remains largely redundant. Is it possible, I asked Dave Cameron, that a certain population within baseball itself is becoming redundant? It's a very similar question to the one posed by the prolific Travis Sachik in the pages of Fangraphs following the dismissal of eight scouts from the Houston Astros organization. And while Jeff Lunau, the club's GM, has suggested that it's the product of an effort to restructure their scouting departments. One can't ignore that much of the information traditionally recorded by scouts is now accounted for by StatCast uh, or TrackMan or some other manner of radar-based system, depending on the league, the level, etc. Anyway, I bring this question to Dave Cameron. His response, scouts in general will probably be fine, he says, and that possibly they'll be able to transcend their role in many cases essentially as overqualified data entry employees, individuals with a lot of experience in the field, but perhaps tasks that do not require them to take advantage of that experience. Perhaps they could be freed up to address other concerns, concerns like Reese Hoskins, for example, Reese Hoskins, who never appeared in the top 100 prospect list, and yet, by all indications, appears to be a very qualified major league hitter. He's in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. He's had very well both at double and triple A, and he seems to possess what one might call, what Dave Cameron certainly calls, the Matt Carpenter profile, which is also perhaps the Justin Turner profile or the Daniel Murphy profile. Perhaps scouts could identify Reese Hoskins before he sends to the major league level. Is the point? We address the Reese Hoskins situation uh, in no little depth in what follows. What else I do is I ask Dave Cameron, how essential he regards this podcast to the greater efforts of Fangraphs.com. His response is lukewarm at best. This is not the kind of work that you generally want to pay significant amount of money for, uh, you know, talented people who have real skills to perform. That hurts, Dave Cameron. More on that and other matters in what follows. First, I must announce that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs can contribute to the great work that appears at that site by acquiring a Fangraphs membership, and for a slightly less reasonable sum, those same readers can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, facilitating uh, faster loading speeds, as I've mentioned before, and also uh, liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Have I said that? I have. In any case, it is a Fangraphs ad-free membership or a regular Fangraphs membership, both available at Fangraphs.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But with that, let us move on to the program. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Quite a bit and or nothing to speak about because we we haven't spoken uh, on we haven't uh, published a, an episode of Fangraphs Audio together for about a month um, because right. uh, very generously uh, David Appman has allowed me to take some time off. Uh, that's Dark Overload, David Appman. Um, <clears throat> um, 
maybe slightly less dark at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agreed. Like moderate lightness. The, here's a question I I have with regard to um um. Well, uh, uh, okay, so you know what I'll frequently will post to you, uh, real-life concerns, and ask you to identify something in the uh, the American pastime of baseball uh, that yeah. might that might reflect that concept or, or, or question. Uh, in this particular case, uh, as I was gone, I began thinking deeply about um, – I began thinking deeply about redundancy and whether – whether my absence from Fangraphs made it clear that my that I was redundant. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were certainly times when I was like, I don't know what Carson does all day, and then there were other times when I was like, come back, okay, Carson, yeah. leave that stupid kill. Yeah, so where, so so uh, just to, this uh, this is a purely self satisfying portion right here. What is it? What do you think it is that I do? <laughs> what do you, wh- where is my value? Because I think that's important to know. So I think um, you trade commas for periods uh, pretty frequently. Okay. Uh, so I noticed in my Reese Hoskins post today, oh, okay. uh, so, several of my sentences that it had included a number of commas and had gone on for some while had been changed into uh, shorter sentences with periods in between them. Okay. So I think this is probably your your largest function. That's, is I also put, uh, please, and we'll use your piece on Reese Hoskins from earlier today, please observe that I also put hyphens in between ground uh, and ball. You're a big fan of changing ground ball to ground hyphen ball. Well, it is it is in the style guide. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, uh, I, I just leave them there for you to do yeah. it so that you feel, so feel. some uh, fulfillment, mm-hmm. like you're actually getting something done. So okay. I allow you that uh, that hyphenation. Right, okay. Uh, so so mostly adding various forms of uh, punctuation to yeah. to everyone's post, do you think, is, is the value that right. I offer? You also send late-night messages about um, the state of the, the queue for the next morning. That's true, uh, yeah. So, so when you weren't around... I had to look for myself and be like, oh, crap, we have no content. I should stay up late and write a post. Right. So now you have someone else who's informing you we have no content. <laughs> that's right. You can you can <laughs> tell me, hey, man, stay up late and write a post. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think, yeah, largely what I do is is uh, I perform tasks so you do not have to. That's right. Yeah. I will say that uh, there was a – because you, you left at an inopportune time, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, six days before the trade deadline. Yeah. Not, not the best timing. Uh, next time you uh, want to have a child, you should consult with me first <laughs> on the timing of such things. Sounds good. Uh, and so there was a good stretch there at the end of July, beginning of August, where I was like, "This is I need Carson back," yeah. which I or words I did not expect. To Nor me. But anyway, uh, good to hear. Uh, good to hear. Um, uh, but I, I also this this concept of redundancy, I suppose, um, is relevant. To, to big it to baseball, I know that um, Peter Gam has reported on a situation, and uh, recently, and um, Travis Sachuk wrote a piece about it for yesterday, I guess it was Monday, on uh, recent Houston Astros transaction that uh, had nothing to do with players, uh, but they did. It seems, at least according to Peter Gammons, they fired eight scouts. Right. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I did see that, yeah. And <clears throat> that brings about another point regarding redundancy. Um, and of course, Travis Sochik asked the question: Can scouts and Statcast coexist? It's a, it's, a, I guess, a version of a question that was asked, as Sochik notes, about 15 years ago with the publication of Moneyball. Can stats, can can scouts and stats uh, coexist? Uh, I think that, you know, generally, over the past decade and a half, the the 
Um, abiding wisdom has been that the clubs that have the best of both are typically the most successful. Uh, but I think Travis Sachik asked an, an interesting question, and I'm curious, I'm curious, were, are redundancies being created, or is it allowing for opportunities? Yeah, I mean, so I think, um, as Travis noted, what we're seeing is probably the change in what scouting actually is, right? So uh, for, you know, the last 30 or 40 years, uh, especially since the advent of the radar gun, a lot of what has been considered scouting was actually manual data collection. Uh, you know, in any other industry in the world, what's some, a large part of what scouts have done would just be called data entry, right? Like point the radar gun at the field, write down what it says. Like that's not a skilled um technique that's not anything you have to go to scout school to learn you just take a piece of equipment to a various facility and you record what it says anyway anyway uh, if i may interject though th- typically the only people who were given these particular jobs are people who had been employed uh, in baseball in some capacity for some time Right, so there was a barrier to entry to get one of these jobs, but then the functions performed, not entirely, but a large degree, were non-skilled data entry work, right? Carry the stopwatch, hit the button when the guy starts running, hit the button when the guy stops running, write it down. Uh, this is not the kind of work that you generally want to pay significant amount of money for uh, you know, talented people who have real skills to perform. And, and now that we have essentially automated data collection methods. We don't really need manual data entry uh, in as professional baseball environments, right? So, like, there's now some version of tracking data, uh, whether it's StatCast, uh, TrackMan, PitchFX. Something exists in most professional ballparks affiliated with a major league team. Not every single one, but, like, TrackMan has become... Um, Something that a lot of teams have invested in for their minor league facilities, uh, pitch effects in most minor league facilities at this point, uh, now that they've been phased out of the major leagues. So we have a lot of tracking data, uh, for the minor leagues, and obviously we have StatCast for the major leagues. Um, so you don't really need people to go to those games and hold radar guns. Like that's just a function that's no longer all that useful. So, if you take away the data entry side of scouting, there's so many more interesting things scouts can do to actually use their abilities, use their experience, use um, their time, and the fact that they're around these players. There's insights they can give that perhaps they were limited uh, on previously because so much of their job was manual data entry. And now that that part can go away, they can do other things. And I, I, don't, I know that uh, uh, Travis... I had spoken with John Daniels on the subject, and it seems as though part of it is uh, maybe watching the game in a more, well, for lack of a better term, holistic sort of way. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, you know, to in, which which would seem to capitalize on the experience of the observer at that point, because as you as you note, um, a, uh, in more of a data entry capacity, the experience of the data enterer is not necessarily being utilized to its fullest. So maybe there's something to watch in the game in a more, in a broader way. And then I guess also, right, uh, utilizing relationships. I think that John Daniels spoke about uh, the acquisition of Carlos Gomez and how it wasn't just, it wasn't just that they had had, you know, some advanced scouts see Carlos Gomez play that season and thought, oh, we could do this with a swing, et cetera. It was more, uh, it was, um, there were, they had scouts in their organization who had, you know, long-term relationship uh, with Carlos Gomez, right. who'd known him since he was signed, essentially. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I think this exists at other levels and in other sports, right? Especially like in the college level, um, we hear a decent amount of like, oh yeah, this guy's father went to this school, and so therefore they have, a, you know, or this, uh, you know, this basketball player uh, wants to go play for this particular university because they hired his dad to be the assistant coach, or they hired his high school coach. And this actually happens in baseball sometimes too. I remember David Price a couple years ago. I think the Cubs uh, hired his. Um, pitching coach from Vanderbilt. It's like there was rumors the Cubs might try and sign him, and this was like seen as a precursor for the Cubs making a run at David Price. Is kind of finding some some relationships. Um, not necessarily that you're going to do something similar with scouts, but I think if you um, kind of rework what scouting looks like in terms of r- reducing the amount of manual data entry, especially in you know in parks where you don't need to do that at the high school level, they certainly still need to do this because there isn't TrackMan at most at most high school ballparks. So that's still going to be a necessary thing. But for like advanced scouts, someone who's covering the majors or the minor leagues, scouting other organizations, um, perhaps you could end up developing relationships with coaches, developing relationships with trainers, developing relationships with people who might allow you to gain some information and some insight into the players. Um, and, you know, potentially that's someone that you would hire away. You could almost uh, think about your scouts potentially not just scouting players anymore, but potentially scouting coaching staffs, scouting um, facilities, scouting the ability to gain information about things that you could potentially acquire that aren't just players. Right, right. Uh, information. Information yeah. that is not available to others. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, oh yes. Oh, and, and you've all, you've inadvertently answered a question I was going to ask anyway, um, or at least it was a it was a question asked by um, a commenter on uh, Travis's post uh, about these eight scouts <clears throat> and about you know scouts scouts and Statcast is um, yes, track uh, some form of pitch tracking system does actually exist. This was the question is uh, it does actually exist in in many minor league parks as you've noted. Uh, and I know certainly from uh, from Eric Longenhagen that uh, it's not entirely uncommon in uh, at least bigger in the, in the stadiums of bigger college programs too. Right. Yeah. I mean, TrackMan has become a a pretty large uh, company within the baseball circle. So, like uh, most organizations, including colleges uh, or showcase Cape Cod type style um, summer leagues, are going to have enough money to buy a TrackMan radar. I think they, you know. They cost more than you or I can afford, but they're not prohibitively expensive, especially if you're only installing one in one stadium. Um, and so if you wanted to attract, you know, better talent to come to your university or potentially even high school, because there are some high schools who function as, um, you know, basically athlete production facilities, um, you know, to invest $25,000 or $40,000, whatever it is, for a TrackMan unit installation, calibration, um, you know, it doesn't require that much in the way of like long-term maintenance. You just pay a one-time fee, and now all of a sudden you can say, "Hey, look, if you want to go play in the pros, we've got the data collection ability to pass that on to major league teams. They're going to find this valuable. They're more likely to come see you play if we can tell them that you have a 3,200 RPM on your curveball, um, and potentially you might be able to acquire uh, better talented, um, you know, amateur uh, levels." Yeah, and and I, I would uh, to um, add on to that. Um, even if even if the uh, pitch tracking data is not necessarily available in every high school park, uh, there is of course obviously a, a robust prep showcase circuit, yeah. um, and I think that this sort of uh, pitch tracking stuff is available uh, frequently at the host sites for that. 
Yeah, usually like the perfect game events and I think the World Woodbet Classic and, and kind of the major ones, area code games, yeah. they're going to have TrackMan radars installed. That's just kind of a, you know, best practices now. Um, any big showcase that's attracting the, you know, the kind of the top talents, they're going to have TrackMan there. Now, is there is there anything to be said, however, uh, with regard to scouts and uh, beyond the, the data entry point? If this is what we could call it shorthand, the, the sort of, uh, the trouble with the curve, six cents, right. <laughs> you know, where uh, the, where one uh, performing um, a sort of um, alchemy, a, a scouting alchemy, is able to to uh, to observe potential in a player that others might not be able to observe. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I hit on this a little bit in my Reese Hoskins piece today. Um, I think it would be interesting, and I think there are, there are teams who are doing, not necessarily this exactly, but uh, doing interesting things with their scouts in order to um, maybe cause them to scout in a different way. So right, so like if you look at Reese Hoskins and kind of the players that I mentioned that he's hitting, like uh, Matt Carpenter, Justin Turner, um, you know, I don't think he was mentioned in the piece, but Kyle Seeger fit into this mold. Uh, Jose Batista a few years ago was in this mold. Like, there are a lot of these kinds of players, uh, Daniel Murphy, you know, they're, that are basically elite major league hitters who were not seen as elite major league hitters even when they got to the big leagues, right? Like they, um, they weren't very highly thought of as amateurs. They weren't high draft choices. They hit well in the minors and there was skepticism about their abilities until they became like all-stars and everyone's like, okay, fine, I guess you're good. And in Daniel Murphy's case, like, you know, we saw him do it for three months at the major league level, including in the postseason where he was hitting home runs off the best pitchers in the world. And even then, like, no major league teams were really all that interested in signing him as a free agent uh, because they just didn't believe what they just saw. And so I think if you could teach your scouts um, in some way to try and ascertain what everyone missed on all of these guys and figure out how you could see it earlier. Maybe you can't. I'm not saying that it's that easy to look at Matt Carpenter and then go find the next Matt Carpenter. I don't think it's just the transitive property of watch Matt Carpenter figure out what it is and go find some kid who has that. But if you could figure out what to look for that might allow you to find 3% more often Matt Carpenters or 5% or, you know, you don't have to, to find every Matt Carpenter, but if you can, if you can identify the trait that these guys have in common and then potentially find the thing that allows itself to evolve into that down the line, um, you could really help your organization. And so I think, um, scouting uh, kind of these th- falling through the net guys and and kind of learning why didn't why didn't our profession like these guys why did we why were we skeptical of Daniel Murphy even after he was awesome why did we miss on Justin Turner like what was it about these guys that we didn't see that no one saw and can we see it in the future Justin Turners before anyone else that could be tremendously valuable and if you don't have to have your scouts just sitting around collecting home to first times or radar velocities, perhaps they would have more time to work on problems like okay. that. And I actually have a, a bit something to add, a bit of a coda uh, to your point about Reese Hoskins. Uh, before we move on to that, uh, I do want to ask you, um, now we've used this, the, um, these eight scouts as a jumping off point. What do we know about this actual transaction? Jeff Lunau has suggested that there's actually there will be no actual overall decrease in personnel um, and scouting right. personnel for the Astros, but firing eight people simultaneously, as opposed to, for example, repurposing them within the organization, um, it uh, well, it 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 seems um, like a statement, I suppose. So, w- what do 
what do we know about this in particular? Do you really have a sense that uh, the Astros are going to go ahead and hire eight more people down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think I would I wouldn't read too much into like oh they, the Astros fired eight scouts that are downsizing scouting. This happens. This is the time when scouts get fired, right? Like the, the scouts' work year is essentially August through July. Um, you you primarily have to cover. Uh, the draft, it, you, like you basically can't fire scouts before the draft, right? Like even if you think they're not doing a good job, you need them for the draft. It's an important time. Uh, and then, you know, six weeks after the draft, you have the trade deadline. And so you're going to, uh, employ them to go, um, you know, scout other teams' minor league systems. You need, uh, a decent amount of just, you know, human capital in order to do all the work that's required to kind of prepare for the trade deadline. And then kind of immediately after the trade deadline, there's the area code games in August. And this is one of the big events showcasing the top talents for the next year. And then once the area code games are over, there's not that much to do immediately because, you know, we're, we're, school's not in session yet, so college players aren't playing. The, you know, the summer leagues are coming to an end. This is kind of the the lull in, in when their scouts don't have a much to do relative to what they do the rest of the year. So you could put them on, you know, going to watch minor league games, but a lot of the top prospects have already been called up at this point. We don't really need scouts at the major league level the way we used to 20, 30 years ago. So if you're going to fire your scouts, you're going to do it in August. This is just kind of the time to be like, yeah, we have evaluated these guys throughout the year. We think we want to uh, replace them. This is kind of, you know, the winter meetings for scouting, right? It's like if you're going to change your roster, you're going to do it at what this are, time. What are scouts so actually look at doing say, during the winter? All right, they're probably what? They're probably talking about who to acquire and not acquire, et cetera, or? Yeah, I mean, so like, you know, depending on how high a level scout they are, they might be in the room at the winter meetings. Uh, you know, there's a reason these teams get really large office, uh, suites at these hotels because they don't want to just have the GM and a couple of, you know, assistant GMs and like the stats guy in the room that, you know, I've been in some team rooms where they've been talking about acquiring players and there's 40 people in the room. And so if you have, you know, a, a, an organization that listens to input from your, um, from your area scouts or your, your pro scouts, you're going to invite them to the winter meetings. You're going to invite them to sit in on planning meetings where you build your roster. Um, they potentially are going to go down to uh, the Caribbean and, and watch like the Dominican Winter League. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still stuff to do in the winter, um, but this is definitely the beginning of kind of the lull in terms of uh, the scouting calendar. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that's all. That's all very interesting. Just to, to know that uh, I don't know if we got to sort of the question of redundancy elsewhere. Uh, it seems to be that they're just in a any sort of um, corporate environment, and I'm including the baseball organization, that could be a company, it could be, you know, a nonprofit, it could be a band even, like, you know. Uh, there's sort of a – It's the, on the on one hand, there might be redundancy of two people who perform the same function, but I have to think that at some level those that could also create complementary roles as well. Right? Yeah, I, where two people have a have shared understanding of a similar, you know, of a similar task. Right. I also think I would be careful to to think that like there's just not enough things in in baseball to study for like you know current staffing levels to be maintained, and so that like Statcast mm-hmm. is going to cause teams to employ fewer people. Like I don't think that's the case at all. You know, one of the things we know about baseball operatives, uh, baseball operations staff is they work a lot of hours, right? Like, these people are generally working 70 to 90 hours a week, uh, you know, potentially more during the season when they have to go to all the home games, even though, like, they're not filling a report. They have to sit there for three hours and watch a baseball game. Um, they're not allowed to leave in, in most cases. Um, so you're, you have people putting in significantly, um, 
uh, more than 40 hour or 50 hour work weeks, uh, potentially you could get to the point where if enough, if you found enough redundancies, you could say, hey, look, you know, we're going to keep our current staffing levels and we're just going to have everybody work less. And perhaps that would lead to a more efficient, you know, more well-rested, better decision-making process if people aren't working 90 hours a week. And so, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't think that the baseball is all that close to saying, uh, we have too many people, let's start downsizing because there's just not enough to do. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I hope they don't. Uh, uh, okay, so with regard to Reese Hoskins, after reading your article today, I um, utilized our, uh, our leaderboards of Fangraphs.com um, to isolate players who might resemble Reese Hoskins, who himself resembles, as you noted, uh, uh, Matt Carpenter, uh, Ian Kinsler, Justin Turner, Daniel Murphy, Daniel Murphy yeah. this yeah. sort of family of player. Can we, can we call yeah. it the Matt Carpenter family? Yeah. Okay. That sort of family of player. So I went to the AAA leaderboards, and um, I didn't have contact rate, but I used swinging strike rate, which, you know. Similar. Similar. Yeah. Um, and I, I attempted to find uh, Z-scores for players uh, according to swing strike rate, where lower was better. And uh, ground ball rate, also where lower is better. Now, only three players uh, with more than 100 plate appearances in all of AAA uh, are a standard deviation better by both metrics, swing strike rate and ground ball rate. Uh, you will not be shocked to learn, Dave Cameron, that Reese Hoskins is one of them. He's not in AAA yeah. anymore, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, there were two others, but none as young as Reese Hoskins. So in a sense, he is singular, as you note. He's, he's a sort of singular player. Um Nate Orr from the Brewers is a 27-year-old kind of middle infield prospect. Um, is he related to Pete Orr? Uh, Orff, in fact, is the oh, last Orff. name. Okay. Uh, and he's not related to Carl Orff, uh, okay. the composer of Carmina Barana. Uh, yeah. Williams Studio is a catching prospect who's now in the Diamonds organization. He was in the Phillies at one point. And I think he's catching prospect sort of uh, in quotations. Yeah, one um, of those. Yeah, he's, and that's the tough thing when you talk about catchers. Um it's a tough thing when you talk about Danny Jansen, for example. That's right. Who we're not discussing the, today. The Danny Jansen mention. You got it in. Yeah, that's right. Um, of course, uh, when we have recorded the uh, Pitch Talk Blue Jays podcast, there is a space in the middle of the program reserved for a brief discussion of a of Blue Jays prospects, usually highlighting one of them. But it became <laughs> no, just... No, usually highlighting Danny well, Jansen. Well, okay, so yes, right. They're usually <laughs> highlighting Danny Jansen. I, now, I have not included him with any frequency in the Fringe Five because the concern has been about his defense. But today, Eric Longenagin said there's no problem with his defense. Right. So I have no idea what to think. Uh, two players in all of AA match these criteria. A standard deviation better, both by swinging strike rate and grab ball. Again, where lower is better. Uh, Tsue Lin, the boss of Red Sox. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who has uh, has had a markedly different batting line this year than in previous seasons, and also a player, not a senator from Wisconsin, uh, not a senator from Wisconsin, uh, responsible for rooting out communists, but rather a a first base prospect in the Tampa Bay system, Joe McCarthy. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I think of some interest this player, Joe McCarthy. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with this player? Uh, a little bit. Oh, you I are? Would, okay. I wouldn't say, like, I'm going to expound greatly on him, but this is not the first time I've heard his name. Well, that's interesting. Um, unlike Pete Orff, Nate Orff. Nate Orff was, was his name, yeah. Who's a yeah that guy I'd never heard of. Play. Right. Now, I actually had heard of him. Uh, uh, Joe McCarthy is a player with whom perhaps I've only seen his name, but I have, I'm not familiar with him. But, um, yeah, he's a first-base prospect. Um, of course, you know, limited a bit by position the same way perhaps the Reese Hoskins is, I guess, uh, there's no firm conclusions about his capacity to play left field, which is where he's playing for Philadelphia, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. that's just until uh, they 
cast Tommy Joseph aside shortly. Yeah. Um, but uh, McCarthy, yeah, like as I say, uh, one of the lowest swing strike rates and one of the lowest ground ball rates in all of uh, in all of Double A. Uh, that's through 500 blade appearances. Um, he has never hit for much power. But as you say, this sort of player is interesting um, because it's not a, it's not necessarily well. First of all, usually guys who are not swinging and missing, it's because they have a flat uh, yeah. a bat path. Right. And so to be able to get the ball in the air that often without that, uh, McCarthy still has not produced what I would consider very impressive power numbers. Right. Um, but anyway, someone to watch uh, because of this criteria. But then again, neither did Matt Carpenter in the minors. Like, if you look at Matt Carpenter's minor league data, he was basically like a high walk slap hitter. Right. Uh, no, and, 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 like and in fact, when he got to the majors even, sort yeah, of. Yeah, right. I His mean, first, first three years, he was just like a 300, 380, 400 guy. Like, he was very limited power. And then eventually he figured out, like, oh, if I pull the ball, yeah. it's going to go over the wall. Right. And the other players you mentioned, too. Obviously, Daniel Murphy yeah. uh, was, always made a lot of contact, uh, but yeah. not much power. Uh, yeah, Justin Turner had no power. Right, exactly. So that was a lot of that. And then I just wanted to, uh, uh, among high A players, there were a couple more who who matched the criteria. But probably the most notable is a is a middle infielder in the Cubs system named Zach Short, 22 years old, one of the lowest swing strike rates again, one of the lowest ground ball percentages. Do you think he would be a better prospect if his name was Zach Tall? Mm, well, I think he plays middle infield. Isn't isn't it generally a bias towards short middle infielders? Yeah, that's true. So, there you go. He's actually. Can I ask, can I ask a question too. about Reese Hoskins and your lack of correspondence about him? Yeah. What? What? what a few years ago, it felt like it felt like Reese Hoskins was like maybe three years ago would have been your Mookie Betts or your Corey Kluber or your Charlie Blackman. Like these were, you know, players that you jumped on yeah. pretty early, but but weren't necessarily completely ignored. Um, you know, Mookie Betts eventually ended up as a top hundred prospect. Um, you know, these guys were, were at least recognized within the prospect circles. Um, now you've moved on to the, the Danny Jansons of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, what was it about Reese Hoskins that caused you to just never write about him? Because well, so, seems okay, like, so, he seems like the most Sestouli prospect of the last couple of years. So Reese Hoskins actually uh, did make the French Five a couple times last year. Um, or no, he actually made it even the beginning of this year maybe. At some point, though, he ended up on a list. Is why he was not included this year. He hasn't been on. Yeah, any, okay, he so hasn't been on any top hundred. Mm, I checked the ball before publication today. He might have been in. Well, I, listen. He would have been included. He might have been. So you know that uh, uh, John Sickles does a, a list of two hundred. Okay, right. I didn't look at John. I, right. I didn't look at John Sickles' list. Yeah, so he was 175th on uh, so, John. So you didn't write about him because John, Sickles had him in the top two hundred. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's actually there's a couple of players I would have included. For example, uh, Kybert Ruiz. The only reason I have not written about Kybert Ruiz, who is an 18 year old who is hitting well at high A, he's a Dodgers prospect. Um, he was he's 197th on Sickles' list. This seems like maybe you're casting your net of players you won't talk about too wide. Well, and I I think that's not necessarily. Uh, an incorrect statement, Dave Cameron. However, there is a vocal group of readers who, if I select someone who you know has has whiffed the top 100, 
I I am immediately discounted because I'm I'm not performing any sort of actions, <laughs> you know, any sort of creativity. So it frequently I'm I receive criticism from the other side as well. Well, I would think that like Reese Hoskins fits the profile of the kind of guy that I would have expected you to be like beating the drum for. Yeah, and he was on the Fringe Five last year. Yeah, so but I'm like tell you. having him show up on the Fringe Five twice is not like you you formed a society around Corey yeah. Kluber. Like when he now, was promoted to the major leagues, you got the Cleveland Indians Twitter account to like uh kind yeah, of uh, okay. join your parade. Like the, the, right, all right. Well, so part of that too. So a couple things happened, um, and this actually this is interesting, and it, it reveals. Uh, maybe what the general concerns regarding Reese Hoskins has been. First of all, there's simply the fact that he's a first baseman. Sure. Uh, and and you, as you know, you have to hit. Yeah. Uh, a player has to hit a lot. Right. Um, and usually there there tends to be a bit of a bias in top 100 lists, just as there is, for example, like at least historically in like Hall of Fame voting, where if there if the high offensive numbers are there, then you tend to see higher ranking, even if. A little bit of a dis- – you don't see as much acknowledgement of the um, positional adjustment. Um, and then the other one is the one um, that's probably even more relevant is the um, the Phillies double-A park. Yeah, Redding is a big hitter's park. Yeah, yeah right. Redding is a big hitter's park. And I, so I think that – I remember talking about it with uh, Eric Longenagin last year about Reese Hoskins because also Cam Perkins. Cam yeah. Perkins right. uh, is another player in their system. Yeah. And I think before either of those two – well, I mean, Tommy Joseph might have been a guy like that. Um, players who've, who've recorded um, – kind of absurd power numbers. Right. I think Dylan Cousins, there's also questions yeah, about Scott that. Scott this year. Yeah. yeah, right. It's actually interesting. Dylan Cousins, what's the, what's going on with Dylan Cousins? Is he not, is he not around right now? Uh, I'm not sure, because I didn't write about You're, Dylan Cousins today, so I didn't do any Dylan Cousins <clears throat> research. No, that's fine, yeah. But um, um, but it's what's interesting is Dylan, so Dylan Cousins is a player of some note, and n- not right. one whom I've championed. Right. Cato um, thought he was the best prospect in baseball this year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's or constantly at the list of, of Chris Mitchell's, yeah. constantly at the top. I mean, let's see, right. even at the midway. He was still top 20 or something, right? Yeah, in the stats only. In the stats only, he's still up there. But, I don't. yeah, I don't think he occupies the same sort of yeah. elevated status. But um, he was number one uh, in the preseason, I believe. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that sounds on, exactly on right. And he's a little bit lower. He's 34 now on the stats only. Okay, right. Um, but, yeah, high. that's... Yeah, still pretty high, right? Yeah. Especially again, relatively. And he uh, appears to, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, he's hit over twenty home runs and fewer than five hundred plate appearances. So he strikes out a lot. He strikes out a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's the concern, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, those are some of the reasons regarding Reese Hoskins. No, but I, I, I certainly a, a player to monitor. But between first base and the stadium, uh, that's probably why he was not as high up on my list. Do you want to end with a fun fact about Reese Hoskins? Oh yeah, sure. And and the whole podcast or this segment? Well, I mean, we're like a, you know, we're oh, we're pretty close. That's right. I would, yeah, I just, I'll have one brief question for you. Okay, after. Fine. we okay, can end. Ahead. We can end the Reese Hoskins segment by saying, if you go to the 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 sortable projections on Fangraphs, yeah, and you go to Steamer's rest of season projections, you don't want to look at the depth charts ones from guys who just came up for the minor leagues because our depth rest of season doesn't include minor league data yet. Uh, but Steamer does. The Steamer accounts for what's happened in the minor leagues and the major leagues this year. If you sort by rest of season WRC plus, Reese Hoskins has the same projection as Aaron Judge. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that's going to be tough for a lot of people to swallow uh, or to buy, and they might think that the uh, the steamer is significantly too high on Reese Hoskins. But uh, for the rest of the season, steamer sees no difference between the Yankees. 
massive star right fielder and the guy who spent two weeks in the big leagues in Philadelphia. Reese Hoskins, this is one of the sort of uh, oddities that can occur after roughly 50 plate appearances. However, after those 50 or so plate appearances, he has recorded a a batting line that's 60% above average. Yeah. Okay? But he's done it with a batting average in balls in play that's almost literally half of the league average. Yeah. His WRC plus is higher than his Babbitt. Which is almost impossible. It's almost impossible. Yeah, it's r- yeah, that's very difficult. <laughs> you don't see that very often. Yeah, I guess what you have to not be striking out, and you have to be hitting for a lot of a power. Lot of home runs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean yeah, just yeah, the three yeah, true outcomes it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, huh? That's why he's unlikely to be sustained. But uh, <laughs> you're right. I think both his BABIP is going to go up and his ISO is going to go down. Both, right. both of those things are going to happen. All right. Well, uh, I would suggest everyone watch Tsue Lin, Joe McCarthy. And maybe uh, Zach Short. Uh, okay. In terms of, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch Reese Hoskins. Yeah, that's fair enough too. He, does, he is playing at the major league level currently. Yeah. Uh, and he's playing in a doubleheader today, so lots of chances. Last thing about which I wanted to ask was just uh, how Saber Seminar went, and and uh, if you, uh, I know I, I spoke with Travis Sachik, and he reported he reported two interesting events. One was um, a talk I think about the juice ball, and that maybe maybe Dr. Alan Nathan did some. Used uh, the Tampa Bay Rays Tropicana Field as like a control study, and he was looking at drag, etc. Yeah, this is actually a really good question to um, point out how uh, out of the loop you've been, because I actually didn't make it because my dad had a stroke. Oh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, well, that's bad so, news. Yeah, it's not the best. I recommend to everyone listening try not to have strokes; they're not fun. <laughs> So, so I, uh, I was, I was actually supposed to speak at Saber Seminar this year, and I was not able to make the trip, uh, unfortunately. Oh well, of course, yeah. And I had known about that. I, 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 I guess I was out of the loop. I, uh, I didn't realize that you had not gone. Well, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for ending on this very lighthearted note. Well, I can give you a lighthearted addition: is that uh, in the podcast that I'm uh, with Travis Subject that I'm going to publish this afternoon, he relayed an anecdote about how. Um, despite the fact that the a certain lecture hall on the what is it the BC or BU campus, yeah, BU, BU yeah. campus expressly states no food or drink. Yeah. Nevertheless, Travis Sachik <clears throat> brought a I believe it was a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee in, and proceeded uh, to spill it um, shortly thereafter. Or maybe it was someone he knew from the Pirates, uh, like front office, kicked it over accidentally. Mm. Let's blame Neil Huntington. It wasn't him. I think it was someone named Andrew Gibson. Um, oh, okay. Andrew Gibson. He, he, Travis Sachik said it, so I, I feel comfortable repeating it here. Yeah. <laughs> way to go, Andrew Gibson. Yeah, way to go, Andrew Gibson. Anyway, uh, that brings us to the conclusion. Uh, don't, well, there was no point to that other than just that Andrew Gibson spilled his drink? Yeah, well, no, but my point is that he brought is a room that said no food or drink. Here goes Travis Sachik, who believes the rules do not. Noted rule breaker. Yeah, believes the rules do not apply to him, and he spills yeah. his drink. Yeah. Well, that's what we get for hiring, uh, yeah. hiring Travis Sachet. Danger, danger is, it's not, it's neither of his names. It's neither of his names. <laughs> no, none of his names. Okay, uh, we'll stick around for one moment, but for the purposes of the program, thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome, Carson. Hey, and do me a favor, mm. keep your baby alive. Yeah. Yeah. That has been Managing Editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.